Hello everyone, and welcome to the October 21st edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Skarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled that a volunteer firefighter is not an employee for purposes of his lawsuit against the city for discrimination despite the fact that the city provided workers' compensation coverage for volunteers. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Enriquez versus City of Sierra Madre. The city hires and fires volunteer firefighters, sets the rules and regulations for their work, requires them to work specific shifts and to arrive on time, and requires them to report to supervisors and to work within the framework of the fire department. Volunteer firefighters also receive training and are covered by workers' compensation. The city pays volunteer firefighters a stipend, a stipend of $1 per day and $33 per day when hired out with a strike team of firefighters sent to assist other agencies. None of that was enough to make volunteer firefighter an employee for DFEC discrimination claims. Kalen Enriquez, was a volunteer firefighter with a department and had also applied for a position as a volunteer with the police department. While waiting word on her police department application, she claims that she had witnessed several firefighter-involved sexual harassment situations. The police department put her employment application on hold pending resolution of issues regarding sexual harassment. Enriquez was then disciplined by the fire department that said she had created an uncomfortable working environment by discussing the sexual harassment incidents with the city staff. The police department ultimately withdrew its employment offer as a result of the disciplinary notice. And she was also removed as a volunteer on a fire department. Enriquez then filed a civil action. The city argued that Enriquez did not receive significant remuneration for her services and therefore she was not an employee and could not state causes of action for employment discrimination. The trial court sustained the city's demurrer without leave to amend. The Court of Appeal affirmed the dismissal in the unpublished case of Enriquez versus City of Sierra Madre. The key legal issue on appeal was whether Enriquez was an employee and therefore protected from wrongful termination and employment discrimination under FIHA. The court ruled that a purported employee must establish the existence of remuneration in some form in exchange for work. Individuals who are not compensated for their services are not employees for purposes of discrimination statutes. Substantial and direct compensation can satisfy the threshold requirement of remuneration. Enriquez argued that her entitlement to workers' compensation benefits was sufficient to give her employee status. The Court of Appeal disagreed and decided that that was not enough. Enriquez did not receive any retirement health care, insurance tuition or reimbursement, or other similar benefits that would support a finding that she was an employee. The court in the 2013 case, Estrada versus City of Los Angeles, which involved a volunteer reserve police officer, recently rejected the argument that receipt of workers' compensation benefits alone confers employee status in a DFEH claim. And now our fraud report. A former Livingston police officer pleaded no contest to insurance fraud 
and was ordered to repay the state more than $14,000. 31-year-old Sammy Galindo pleaded to a single felony count of workers' compensation fraud in Merced Superior Court. The judge ordered Galindo to serve two years of probation and pay $14,200 in restitution. Galindo claimed he injured his right shoulder in 2011 while making an arrest in the same year. He was placed on disability leave. It was at least the third disability claim Galindo had made since he was hired in 2006. And Livingston police officials found this to be suspicious. Galindo claimed that he was unable to move his shoulder without pain, but video surveillance shows him performing heavy manual labor, including unloading a large tree from the bed of a pickup truck, digging holes in his yard, and mowing his lawn. Subsequent medical examinations showed no damage to Galindo's shoulder. When investigators confronted Galindo, he initially denied performing any yard work at all. As part of his plea, he acknowledged making false statements to detectives. The Livingston Police Department fired him in September 2012 for dishonesty and violating the police officer's code of ethics. He lost his appeal during a mediation hearing that same year. Prosecutors said that this conviction sends the message that no one is immune from the law. Diagnostic Laboratories and Radiology has agreed to pay $17.5 million to resolve allegations that it submitted false claims to Medicare and Medi-Cal that were tainted by a kickback scheme. Diagnostic Labs, which is headquartered in Burbank, where they provide lab and x-ray services, Diagnostic Labs allegedly charged skilled nursing homes below cost rates for a Medicare Part A business in exchange for the facility's provision of Medicare Part B and Medi-Cal business back to Diagnostic Labs. This scheme is alleged to have violated the Federal Anti-Kickback Act and the Federal and State False Claims Act. The United States will receive nearly $13 million of the settlement and California will receive about $4.5 million. This settlement resolves a lawsuit filed under the Quitom or whistleblower provisions of the Federal and State False Claims Acts. This act allows private citizens with knowledge of fraud to bring civil actions on behalf of the federal government and state governments and to share in any recovery. The case was filed by two former diagnostic lab employees. The two men who filed the lawsuit will collectively receive about $3,750,000 as their share of the federal recovery. Their share of the state recovery has not yet been determined. And in regulatory news, Governor Brown signed new law clarifying the workers' compensation death benefit presumption. Existing law provides that totally dependent minor children of the deceased worker shall receive death benefits until the youngest child attains 18 years of age. AB 607 eliminates the requirement that in order to conclusively presume that children under 18 or certain adult children are wholly dependent for support on the deceased employee hyphen parent, they're not to be a surviving totally dependent parent. The sponsor 
the Police Officers Research Association of California said that this law was necessary to clarify the rights of totally disabled children. The bill deletes an ambiguous clause in the existing law, thereby ensuring that totally disabled dependent children obtain the death benefit. The death benefit being addressed by the bill is not one of the special public safety officer benefits that are afforded to police and firefighters. Rather, this new law applies to the totally disabled dependent children of any employee who dies as a result of a job-related injury. The legislative analysts found that there are, are relatively few cases that fall under this new law, and of those, the beneficiaries were probably intended to be covered by the existing statute. Back in 2002, AB 749 enacted a broad range of workers' compensation benefit increases. However, one small piece of that measure adopted the ambiguous language. It remains unclear precisely what was intended by the 2002 language when it was enacted. Correcting the resulting confusion seems consistent with the intent of the original enactment. Governor Brown signed AB 1376, which delayed until March 1st, a DWC regulation that requires medical interpreters in the workers' compensation system to be certified. The bill is deemed an urgency measure and thus takes effect immediately. The DWC regulation provides for three pathways for an interpreter to become certified. An interpreter who is on the existing state personnel board list is automatically certified. However, the state personnel board has not updated its list in several years, and it's not open for new applicants at this time. An interpreter can also seek certification by passing either the Certification Commission for Healthcare Interpreters exam or the National Board of Certification for Medical Interpreter exams. But it can take up to six months to navigate these processes. Thus, the new law provides approximately six and a half months from the effective date of the regulation for uncertified interpreters to obtain the necessary certification. Last year, multiple stakeholders reported significant abuse and serious problems with how medical interpreters were provided to injured workers. One of the most common complaints was the use of non-certified medical interpreters. These non-certified interpreters were largely unregulated. And Governor Brown vetoed a proposed law that would have extended the statute of limitations for safety officers' death benefit claims. Under existing law, proceedings to collect death benefits within one year from the date of death or from the last furnishing of benefits, and no proceedings may be commenced more than 240 weeks from the date of the injury. AB 1373 would have extended the time for death benefits for dependents of firefighters and police officers to 480 weeks from the date of injury. The California Professionals Firefighters sponsored the law and claim there are cases where current law unfairly harms the dependents of fallen public safety officers. The sponsor says that there are conditions where survival for more than 240 weeks after diagnosis is not uncommon, such as cancer cases, for example. A number of public agencies opposed the bill primarily on the basis 
of increased costs. These agencies say benefits available to public safety officers are already sufficiently generous. Last year, Governor Brown vetoed AB 2451, which also proposed to extend the statute of limitations in presumption cases. His veto message said this year's measure was identical to the one vetoed last year. At that time, he outlined the information needed to properly evaluate the implications of this bill. He complained that he has not yet received that information. Other bills signed by Governor Brown include laws on pharmaceutical compounding, preventing out-of-state athletes from filing for workers' compensation funding for the state's prescription drug monitoring program, and more. There were 17 total new laws affecting our industry, but overall, it was a quiet year in terms of workers' comp laws, as expected. SB 146 eliminates the requirement that copies of prescriptions be sent with requests for payment unless the provider entered into a written agreement to do so. The law enables any entity that was denied payment of a pharmacy to resubmit the bill if payment was denied for failure to include a copy of the prescription. Senate Bill 294 prohibits pharmacies without a California sterile compounding pharmacy license from compounding or dispensing sterile drug products for injection, ocular administration, or inhalation, and requires out-of-state pharmacies compounding these products for shipping to California to have such a license as well. The law also requires that pharmacies to allow annual inspections and to remove the option for accreditation from outside agencies. New law enables full-time, year-round lifeguards employed by the City of San Diego to be eligible 48 for 4850 leave following a work injury. The new law enables the State Medical Board greater investigation power over patient deaths. And also, it expands the definition of unprofessional conduct to include a physician's repeated to be interviewed by investigators. New law assesses an annual $6 fee on provider and dispenser licenses to fund the Controlled Substance Utilization Review and Evaluation System Monitoring Program. The Occupational Safety and Health Standards Board is now required to establish safety and health standards for healthcare facilities with employees who work with or near anti-neoplastic drugs used in chemotherapy. These drugs may cause rashes, infertility, miscarriages, and birth defects, and have been linked to a variety of cancers. The standards must be consistent with, but not exceed, National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health Recommendations. And of course, new law places limits on workers' compensation claims by professional athletes. The WCAB office in Goleta, which has been open since 1999, is being closed on November 30th. All of its clients and employees will be transferred to the Oxnard branch. And decrying the lack of public outreach, the Goleta City Council voted unanimously at its October 15th meeting to send a letter to the department opposing the closure and requesting that it be postponed until people can weigh in. 
DIR spokesperson Peter Melton said that the Oxnard board is less than an hour away. The decision was made to merge the offices to save more than $20,000 in monthly rent. The Goleto branch is the only board that is closing and is one of the smallest out of the state's 24. Goleta has only one judge and about 1,300 hearing requests so far this year. The Goleta City Council hopes its letter results in a public hearing or perhaps a compromise in which cases are held in Goleta a couple of days per week. There is no word on whether other cities in Santa Barbara County plan on taking similar action. Megan Compton, an attorney for the Santa Barbara law firm Gitterman, Gitterman and Feld said she worries how this closure will impede not only people with legal representation, but also those without it. She added that those with severe disabilities or without cars will be further hindered as a trip from Goleta to Oxnard would take more than three hours and four buses. The DWC is now accepting nominations for its annual Kerry Nevins Community Service Awards. The awards will be presented during the luncheons at the 21st Annual Educational Conferences in February. The awards, which began in 2010, were renamed in memory and honor of Kerry Nevins, the acting administrative director who passed away in 2011. DIR director Christine Baker said that this award acknowledges those MVPs who go above and beyond to benefit the compensation system for the betterment of employees and employers. Nominations should be made for those who have made a significant contribution to the betterment of the workers' compensation community in the highest professional manner. The DWC will honor one Southern California recipient in Los Angeles and another Northern California recipient in Oakland. Last year's award in Northern California was given to Angie Wee, Legislative Director of the California Federation of Labor, AFL-CIO. Sean McNally, President of KBA Engineering in Bakersfield, was a Southern California recipient. Both were commissioners with the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation. And in medical news, hospitals are starting to cut thousands of jobs amid falling insurance payments and inpatient visits. The payroll cuts are surprising because the Affordable Care Act is eventually expected to provide health coverage to as many as 30 million additional Americans. Healthcare providers announced more layoffs than any other industry last month, about 8,000, largely because of reductions by hospitals. So far this year, the healthcare sector has announced about 41,000 layoffs, the third most behind financial and industrial companies. And more staff reductions are expected into next year. There are a myriad of reasons for the cuts which are affecting administrative staff as well as nurses and doctors. Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance companies are all reducing reimbursement to hospitals. The federal budget cuts known as sequestration have cut Medicare reimbursement by 2%. The healthcare law has further reduced the Medicare payments to hospitals that provide lower quality service or have high readmission rates. The National Institutes of Health reduced 
funding to hospitals by 5% as part of sequestration, forcing hospitals to trim research staff. The number of inpatient hospital days fell 4% in part because of the economic downturn. As more baby boomers turn 65, their services will be reimbursed at Medicare rates that are lower than those of private payers, putting further pressure on hospital revenue. And 26 states rejected the Affordable Care Act's offer of federal funding to expand Medicaid. Well, that's all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcast and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And drop by again next week for more news.